it's time for another episode of Cloak and Jabber, and woo, I am in a drug-addled haze. I've been taking uppers, I've been going downers, doing crack, and I do not want to go back. I don't know what's going on, everybody. I'm going nuts here. I'm in a world of my own. My name is Alex. <laughs> then I'm keeping the record spinning all night long, and we are spinning alternate universes that uh, reflect different aspects of your life. I'm also drug-addled, as you can tell, because I'm not making any sense. I'm the Sizz. And you are listening to Cloak and Jabber, a Cloak and Dagger podcast. We're going to be talking about the Season 2 episode, B-Sides. Get it? Besides. It's like besides, but also B-Sides. There's a lot of stuff going on in the title of the show, um, and I'm saying that jokingly, except for, once again, I was very, very impressed by this episode of the show, how well-structured it was, how well it was put together. Uh, the show is great. It's the, truly, like, the way they... Uh, it's not crazy plot-driven, but it never loses me anytime I'm watching it. It's just so well done. Uh, smart little hints all along about what's happening. So much character stuff. I love this show. One of the things that we've talked about a couple of times here on the show, but really struck me with this episode again, this show does in media res better than maybe any other show on television. And for those of you that don't know what that term means, it's essentially when you're watching an episode of television, it starts with a scene that takes place kind of in the middle or you don't know exactly what's going on. And usually you'll see it on a show like Supernatural where they'll be fighting some dude and then it'll be like 24 hours earlier that it flashes back. Usually the way TV shows do it, it's then, and they meet up to that point, and then they're fighting that monster, and that's kind of all the information. But in an ideal circumstance, you're supposed to be thrown into the middle of something you don't know what's going on, you don't understand what's happening, uh, and it is is only through the revealed information that you finally do understand what's going on, uh, and then you move past that. And that's what this episode in particular does so well, because again, we start, and, and we'll do the recap in a second as well as a couple of other things, uh, but we, we do the start. recap at the end on this podcast. <laughs> right. We recap uh, what happened on the next episode of the show at the end. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Um, but uh, the fact that they like they start with a shot and then they work up to the shot and it's three quarters of the way through the episode. You find out what the shot is about, but there's still plenty more information you need to understand about what's going on. It's great. It's absolutely great. You can get your uh, TV in high res, low res, or in media res, and I'm always getting it in the third option. <laughs> Just uh, like right. you had said. Before we get to the recap, though, for the previous episodes, uh, I'm going to read through some notes from our New Orleans correspondent, Brett Macris. He sends us in notes for the previous episode of the show. So this is not about this episode. This is about season two, episode five, uh, which was called Alignment Chart. I think this the one it was? Yeah, this Maybe. is a, a post. This is like a post cap on the previous episode. Exactly. Uh, but he lives down in New Orleans and sends us some notes about that. Uh, he apologizes. He sent them a little later than usual because it was Jazz Fest down in New Orleans, um, which is a massive music festival that runs two weeks. Uh, he says, it means I live at work for two weeks. He's a chef. We should mention that. He also had to go see Avengers. Totally reasonable excuse. Um, that's a very long movie and it takes a lot of time. All right. So here's his notes for season two, episode five. So my goal for the season is to get Alex to start 
starts speaking like a true NOLA resident. So far, he's managed to get all the corrections nailed, except one thing from this episode. He's got it a few times, but suddenly regressed this week. I live in the... Okay, I'm going to read ahead. A Marigné... Pronounced Marini. Marini. Okay. Marini. Pro- Marini. Like your what? Like oh, your wife. My wife's name is Marty, and I keep getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's. Don't let her hear about this. Oh, good, oh, good she thing she listens be. to all of. Yeah, this yes, is. No. I should probably be doing a divorce podcast after this. Oh man, uh, that'll be fun. I can't wait to find out what fun bit we open your divorce podcast with. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Right in. Let us know. So Brett says the episode opens with Ty's dad sewing him a cloak in the tradition of the Mardi Gras Indians with a needle, thread, and beads, maybe finishing the cloak that his brother started. I, I think that's correct, right? That's uh, last season we saw yeah. there was a cloak that Ty's dead brother started, didn't get to finish. The dad was finishing it. Uh, Ty used it for a bit, but I believe it got ripped when they were fighting, right, or something like that. So that's probably what was going on there. Um, So that tradition goes back decades. If you're wondering, Google Mardi Gras Indians and you'll find Indian crews representing different neighborhoods, passing down traditions from grandfather to father to son, all spending pains, taking time, hand sewing their headdresses and costumes for months ahead of time. They earned quite a bit of respect in New Orleans. That dock area where Ty's brother was killed and Ty warps to the Connors uh, is right at the edge of the French Quarter. You can see the Mississippi River in the background and the bridge to the West Bank, the New Jersey of NOLA in the distance. I think they want it to be near Lake Pontchartrain. Is that what it was? Pontchartrain? Pontchartrain. Pontchartrain, uh, but it's not. It's at the end of the Riverwalk. If you were in on the Comic Book Club Patreon, you'd have access to the Slack channel. You would see a photo of the warehouse on the water I posted about eight months ago. It's two dollars, people. Come on, Brett's right. I can't fight about that. Wow, what a salesman! Yeah. We spend so much money paying him to be down in New Orleans for the entire season, so it's totally worth it. Yeah, normally he actually has a job as a chef in Canada, so it's a lot of travel time. So Detective Not Mayhem, that's what I'm calling her now, is going through Mayhem's apartment and all the missing girls on the walls. The strip club glitter gutter circled on the wall is again made up. What's funny about that is that during parades and holidays, glitter is fucking everywhere. Everywhere. Men, women, children, everyone seems to be covered in glitter. Glitter has its own economy, and it's impossible to leave the house and come back without being covered in it eventually. Ty's dad and his friend are sitting... Yeah, no, it does sound very bad. It gets in your eyes and stuff. Itchy. Ty's dad and his friends are sitting at the table sewing. Again, that's a thing. Building your Mardi Gras costume is a social and communal thing. Connors mentions that his family is part of the Promenade Society. I don't know if anything like that actually exists. I'm sure it exists by some other name, but Ty's father responds with, the place rich white folk go to upstage other white folk at Mardi Gras. So this is the thing, because the Mardi Gras Indians were sort of born out of the poor neighborhoods of NOLA, wanting to celebrate Mardi Gras in their own way. There's so many parades during Mardi Gras, and most of the crews are very expensive to be part of, and even if you you could afford it, you'd have to know someone who knows someone to be a part of the bigger, even smaller parades. Some of the bigger crews like Muses and Nicks have monthly dues to the tune of $900 to $1,100 a month just to roll in the parade. Whoa. Yeah, and he specifies that's every month all year long. So there is some truth to rich white folk trying to upstage other white folk. 
I stick to the downtown parades where you stay dirty and cheap, man. Uh, not Bam's dead boyfriend who can't make pancakes is named Fuchs. I just thought that was noteworthy, especially since we've only seen him do two things. <laughs> Fuck in the squad car by the river with not mayhem and make terrible pancakes. Also, I'm a child. Uh, Ty and Tandy meet up to talk <laughs> about... I'm starting to think he's not a journalist. Yeah, I don't know. I'm starting to doubt That's... his creds a little bit. Imagine but having I'm... to choose between uh, two parades. <laughs> what a lifestyle. Man, I want to move to New Orleans, honestly. We like, should do it. You want to do it? You want to uh, head over there? We'll do it for the final season of Preacher as well. We do a Preacher podcast. So we can do the both of them. Preacher live from New Orleans. Stay on until Cloak and Dagger season three. That's the thing, me right? And you, me and you, the hosts, the only hosts of this podcast will move to <laughs> New Orleans and leave no, uh, no open-ended things, no unresolved issues here in New York City. Yeah, wait. What are we? Where are we going to move for our Krypton podcast? Uh, just lower space. That's close oh, enough. Okay, that sounds good. Lots more oxygen there, I bet. To continue the notes, Ty and Tanti meet up to talk about Connors by the foot of the arching bridge in the Bywater blocks from some great pizza, the record store I mentioned last episode. There's a nice park where my wife goes to the farmer's market every Wednesday with my son, Brooklyn. I love that area. Very peaceful and lots of amazing graffiti murals. You can see the Mississippi River on the background again. On the wall behind Ty, while his father is talking about a costume like he's never made before... There's a Mardi Gras Indian costume hanging on the wall behind Ty. I need to mention that Tandy has a pretty decent collection of vans. She has a new pair every episode. Those douchebags at the Promenade Club are not uncommon. All men's clubs still exist down there. It's the South. Most of these people voted for Trump. And wow, the show ramped right up Ooh. until next week, but I'll be on the slack all week. Also says, uh, this is good. We asked a question last episode because there were some evil restaurant suppliers. He says, if you want to know if restaurant suppliers are corrupt, spend five minutes in any restaurant supply store in the Bowery. They're all shady bastards. So there you go. Wow. Thank you, Brett. Thanks for the notes. Uh, now, after Take that. Down. Let's get into the actual recap for the show, because there's a lot that you actually need to know going into this episode. Basically, the whole continuity of Cloak and Dagger plays in here. But simplified, you have two characters, Ty and Tandy. They, as little kids, uh, suffered trauma at the same time. Ty watched his brother be killed, as we mentioned earlier. Tandy uh, was in a car with her father when there was an explosion at a Roxxon chemical plant, and both of them fell into the water. They pulled each other out as kids, woke up on the beach, but not until much later did they find out they actually had powers. Tandy has the power to make light daggers and go inside people's hopes. Ty has the powers to teleport and also... Uh, uh, go into people's fears. Additionally, they've been developing uh, other powers. Tandy can also kind of make a ball of energy or a ball of light, and Ty can suck people into his cloak. As we found out this season, he can actually, there's a whole dimension in there, which in the comics is called the Dark Force Dimension, and there's a couple of people that went in there. Tandy actually went inside to find two people. The first is one half of Bridget O'Reilly, Detective Bridget O'Reilly. Uh, she was helping out Ty and Tandy. She 
died, got hit by that Roxxon energy, and was also split into two, into two beings, Bridget and Mayhem. Mayhem is super strong, Mayhem is a vigilante killer, and Mayhem got lost inside of Cloak's tummy. Also inside of Cloak's tummy is uh, Detective Connors, who is a bad, corrupt detective who had framed Ty for the murder of Bridget O'Reilly's boyfriend, who was also a cop, uh, last season. Uh, he had got they got Connors out of the cloak. Connors admitted to it, and they were going to clear Ty's name. That's kind of where we left things with that. Um, also, Tandy is probably important to know. Used to be a con man. They basically Ty and Tandy went on opposite character paths. So Tandy uh, was a con man. She worked with this dude who was a boyfriend who was in love with her, but she never really reciprocated exactly the same way back. A couple of other characters you might need to know. Uh, Ty has a sort of on-again, off-again girlfriend, and we like to call her Emoji Girl. Her name's actually Evita. Her mother is a voodoo priestess. And, oh, yeah, there's also Mina. Mina is a scientist who works mm. for the Roxanne Corporation who has helped out Ty and Tandy. And what else? Oh, right. There's the whole plot of the season, right? Yes. So the whole let's plot of the season. Yeah. The plot of the season is human trafficking. Ty and Tandy and Detective Bridget O'Reilly have been trying to take down a human trafficking ring where somebody is capturing young girls that are in impoverished neighborhoods where they won't be missed, taking them in ambulances for some unknown purpose. Maybe sexual purposes, maybe other purposes. As we've seen previously, they're getting injected with some sort of drug that's really messing them up. Uh, and as we found out at the end of the last episode, uh, Tandy had actually been taken in one of these ambulances by one of the people at, it's not a shelter, I guess it's a, uh, not a group home, some sort of social. Like an group. outreach, an outreach yeah, organization. Yeah, so an outreach place. Uh, the outreach place is run by a guy named, it's not Alphonse. Is it Alphonse? It's something with an A. I'm forgetting his yeah. name. Whatever it is, it's run by a guy. Uh, there's a lady who works there who captured her, who tased her, and took her in the ambulance. And that's where we pick up this episode. Um so, oh, the last thing that we should mention inside the dark, dark Force dimension is a record store. And the record store seemed to have literal records of all of the different women that have been captured and Tandy didn't know exactly why there were also records of her life. And when you put them on, they play music, but they also show you scenes of a person's life. Excellent recap, except for the use of the word tummy, which we've all yeah. agreed is bad. Never well, say that. I don't know. I'm going to keep saying it and uh, we'll see if it catches on. Uh, we'll see what happens, Justin. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. That's going to catch on like wildfire. <laughs> hey, How's your tummy? Oh, what do you mean by tummy? I heard it from this fresh podcast. <laughs> uh, well, how do we want to break this down? Because uh, relatively speaking, plot-wise at least, this was a pretty simple episode, even though there was a ton of emotional stuff going on to the point you made earlier. Um, the, the thing that I thought was neat about it, the basic structure of the episode, is that Tandy is trying to fight her way out of this drug. And as she does, she goes through all of these different alternate memories. So we get a pretty classic superhero alternate universe story where it goes through three different alternate takes on what could have happened with Ty and Tandy. Uh, one of them is the idyllic version where everybody is happy. Ty's brother is alive. Her father is alive. They're all together. They're all friends. Ty is going to be a police 
police officer. And then in that particular vision, as they go to a grocery store, they get called out for being an interracial couple, uh, and uh, things start to go horribly wrong. Somebody shoots at them, uh, and Teddy pulls out a dagger, and she starts to break out of her dream, uh, which is when she gets injected with more of the drug. The second one is... Well, let's, uh, let's break it down and talk about them yeah. each, sort of each one by okay. one, I feel like is a good way. Yeah, because uh, we see a lot of imagery of, like, uh, uh, gloved hands putting these albums on this record player. Um, each has a different title, uh, and as the show goes, as the episode goes on, they sort of descend in happiness. Yeah. Uh, now, when you, as as a fellow comic book fan, when you saw the gloved hands... What I did was I immediately started speculating and running through my Rolodex of every single comic book villain who has gloved hands. At first, I was like, oh, is it the Rose? Could it be the Rose? That would be a weird one to bring in. But that was my first thought there. Did you have that same reaction or not at all? I've I this is stupid, but I immediately thought of the show TV show Firefly with um, uh, two by two gloves of blue. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So that was wrong. That was not helpful, but that <laughs> is what I thought. I don't think that's a clue is what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, it could take place in the same Firefly universe that takes place in the future. So there's nothing against your theory. Yeah. Thank you for uh, really giving that the light of day. Hey, um, no problem. Now you agree with my tummy thing, right? Yeah, definitely. It's a real tit for tat situation. You <laughs> believe my nonsense and I'll back your nonsense all the way. Excellent. Um, Love it. So, uh, yeah, this uh, idyllic version, everyone's alive, everyone's happy um, until they get to the scene, like you said, where uh, the racist dudes uh, who just coincidentally, there are two deeply racist dudes in the uh, grocery store who are very comfortable being absolute monsters. Um, I uh, and then they they touch hands and their powers activate. So I think the the thematically through this, it's like, oh, uh, Ty, Ty and Tanny must be together. They are each other's saviors, uh, which I thought was a cool way of very subtly putting that out there by having them just their interaction be what helps Tandy out of each of these situations. Yeah. One thing that I thought was kind of fascinating about this episode in particular was I, I think this is the first episode that we've seen only one character's perspective, something that the show has done so well has been balancing Ty and Tandy the entire time. But even though we see Ty, even when, big spoiler for the end of the episode, when it turns out this is all in Tandy's head the entire time, the entire thing for the most part, um, it's still, you don't get a lot of Ty. It's mostly a Tandy episode. And that felt very different to me. I didn't mind it, but it was just interesting. I I liked it. I liked being able to get... uh stay in her perspective without have feeling the need to like, Oh, well let's make sure we give Ty his time because it really was all about her uh, in this whole episode. Yeah. One thing I thought, especially in this first, uh, the first, uh, album or half of the album that we're hearing the first B side, um, even though it's the, the fully idealized version, there's still no romance between Ty and Tandy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even so though thought- they're accused that by the racist, that's not actually what's going on. Uh, right, well, I just mean for their the longer character development of the show, it does seem that's something that we've talked about since that's such a thing in the comics. Uh, that are they going to do that? And it feels like no. Yeah, I think particularly because we're living inside Tandy's head, even though she's being manipulated by somebody that we'll get to in a moment. 
uh, it's not right. It's not something that she imagines for them. They need each other. They need to be with each other. They support each other. They're part of each other's lives, but it's not a romantic thing. It's a deep, powerful a soul thing between the two of them, but it doesn't yeah. lift to that level of romance. And I did think I was surprised. I th- there were a couple of moments in the episode where I thought there was going to be a kiss and we would see, oh, this is Tandy's desire in her head. But to your point, no. Well, yeah, right when we saw that first shot when she's in the white dress, I was like, oh, this is their wedding. But mm-hmm. definitely not. No, it wasn't. It was uh, actually Ty's... Uh, graduation day where he is becoming officially a cop, which I he, liked. I thought that was fun. He he became a cop uh, and joined the police academy movies. Yeah. So he's probably heading crossover. to, where where was he heading here first, Miami or Moscow? Yeah, I don't know. Those are the two places where cops go. <laughs> the only two sensible places. And then eventually you're just citizens on patrol. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That is a very good one, though. That's not... No, none of them are the good one. <laughs> and it's a real shame that our third host, Pete, uh, Pete, I believe is his name, isn't here for a, the police academy conversation. Yeah, I'll tell you what. He would have some strong opinions about it, uh, and they'd all be wrong. Oh, so go. yeah. Got him. When the yeah. cat's away, the mice will shit on the cat. <laughs> so we get that first one. She does break out of that dream, and she heads into a second I mean, they're not even exactly dreams, but that's the easiest thing to call them. Uh, the second one is the Roxanne fantasy, right? Where she yep. imagines that she is going to work at a Roxanne plant. This is a little more antagonistic. She doesn't necessarily know Ty in this one, though she bumps into Ty and his brother. Uh, she is very nervous about going to Roxanne, but her mom tells her, you're brilliant, you're smart, you definitely deserve this. Uh, And when she gets there, Mina is really pushing against her and saying, oh, you're the little rich girl who's coming in and going to tell us what to do. And she says, no, 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 that's not it at all. So what do you think this part of it was? What was this telling us about Tandy? Uh, I think the well, this episode partially is her facing the the harsh realities of her life, I think. Um, and in this one, she's still – in the first one, her father is like a good guy. In this one, she the, her parents are divorced um, and he's still alive, but she's sort of following in his footsteps. And uh, I thought that was an interesting – like what is it saying? Because you'd see when at the top of this fantasy, she like looks at the rocks on hard hat and is like, oh, I know they're bad. Why am I working there? Um, but then she just slides into it. Uh, so I don't know uh, what the sort of point, the th- uh, thematic, if there was a thematic aim here by, by seeing her slip sort of down this ladder, perhaps that, oh, this world isn't as good because she works for an evil corporation. Yeah, it it was a little unclear to me what they were aiming for with this stuff, just because it mostly felt like... Uh, mostly felt like it was emphasizing the point that no matter what, Ty and Tandy always come back together, which was yeah. what they were getting to at the end. Um, but at least with the rocks on one, it felt to me like maybe there was something more going on there, but I would have wanted to get a better sense of what this was telling us about Tandy and her life. 
Yeah. I do love the way they sort of started to have the world leak a little bit into yeah. it with the, the ambulance siren um, becoming the phone ring and the ambulance doors uh, being the doors in the hallway once they were on the when she was on the um, the rig. Uh, so that I, I like the way they sort of just very using uh, dream logic very uh, directly in a way that was was smart, I thought. Yeah. Uh, so then the third one, they they start to go through in that, they start to go through the, uh, I don't remember what they called it. It wasn't exactly the catastrophe or something like that. The thing that they were trying to prevent the previous season where the Roxxon rig yeah. explodes. Uh, and when that happens, again, they gripped hands, they explode, they realize they have weird powers, and Tandy starts to break out even more from what's going on. Uh, and then she ends up in a third reality, which is her pretending to be giving out surveys, but actually she's back at our con man days, she's back at our thief days, and ends up robbing her old boyfriend who now has a better life and you know he has a better life because he's wearing glasses yes exactly anyone with any sort of intelligence uh wears glasses yes Um, this is true this is why i wear glasses i actually don't need them my eyesight is amazing yeah see here's the thing i don't wear glasses uh, but that just shows that i'm fun Oh, cool, cool, cool. Very uh, cool, right? Yeah, the coolest. So uh, then she starts running away from the cops, and when she runs away from the cops, she gets into a car with Ty. Uh, and again, they break out of it, and this time, this is the time where she breaks out uh, almost wholly, right? Yeah, so, well, to talk about the, the previous one, in the, when we cut back to the ambulance where she keeps getting drugged, she keeps manifesting the dagger. And the woman's like, yo, this one's different. This girl's different. She has um, magic daggers that come out of her <laughs> right. hand. Uh, which she plays pretty cool. She's like, oh, that's weird, but all right, I'll just keep drugging her. Um, which I thought was uh, sort of a weird reaction. But it does make sense as we get to the after the third one when we realize that if it's this out, outreach guy um, who's the one who's leading this, and he uh, also has powers. He is putting her out um, or, like, keeping her in, like, the Dark Force uh, dimension, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, so let's talk about this guy. Uh, so his name is Andre Duchesne. The, it, was, it was an A, but I forgot what it was. Uh, here's, they're not explicit about it, but in terms of what Marvel villainy is, he very clearly emphasizes one word in his speech, um, which tipped his hand. Uh, he's despair. Which is, it's a uh. riff on the classic Marvel villain who is very different. He has, he's a villain who uh, has battled Cloak and Dagger in the comics a bunch of times. Um, more so, he's like a Doctor Strangey type villain because he's a very mystical demon entity. But it's the same sort of thing. He feeds on people's fear, he feeds on people's negative energy. Uh, and in the comics as well, as we find out later, uh, he has used drugs to instill fear on people. So it's interesting. Again, like Mayhem is very different in the season, uh, it's interesting to use that villain in a very, very different way. And it's not exactly the same thing, but I believe the pin, he has like a pin on his lapel, and I think that's the same sort of design as Despair's mask in the comic, or at least it's very Uh, close. uh, That's cool. Um, I also like the way they sort of um, they try to humanize him a little bit by saying that he he has this chronic pain. And so his only way of dealing with it 
is this evil uh, response. And his his justification is, I help 90% of the people. And then 10% I take advantage of, take away all their hopes, and leave them uh, absolutely hopeless in the Dark Force dimension. Yeah, so they're doing a really interesting job of building up the villains this season to parallel the heroes, which is always a smart thing to do. You know, Mayhem has uh, is playing off of Tandy in a certain way, uh, not in a certain way, but in a very specific way, where she's taking what Tandy wants to do, which is be a superhero one step further and saying, great, so and then let's kill all the people. And Tandy has definitely been waffling about that. Um, Despair also seems to be targeting Tandy very clearly, but I wonder if his power if his M.O. is going to challenge Ty in some way. Certainly we'll see it as they mix up. Uh, But Ty has been very focused on clearing his name and doing not exactly the opposite, but and not the bare minimum. That's the wrong way to put it. But he's been much more focused on, okay, what do I need to do to just get back to normal? That's it. And that's kind of what Despair is doing as well. Like you were saying is... (laughs) Mostly he helps people. Mostly he's a good person. But that 10%, does that make you a bad person? In his case, yes, definitely. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, Horrifying. Uh, I'm also curious how his powers, like, sort of physically relate to uh, the Ty and Tandy's powers. It seems like it may be, he may be actually accessing the same uh, dimension that that Ty does. Well, he, he tells the story. He says that his powers were caused by... The rocks on energy as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to have them like truly directly related to the same place. And rather than teleporting, um, he can sort of put people there mentally, uh, or or he's use use the same powers that they have with hope and fear to uh emphasize fear, take hope, and leave people in a catatonic state. Uh, it, it's really cool. I really like the way all everyone's powers are so tightly bound together. Yeah. It makes for a, a, just a stronger connection between the heroes and the villains. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens when it all comes together. Like, will mayhem actually end up being on their side? Because ultimately, at least my opinion right now is despair is much worse, much worse than yeah. mayhem. Um, but I think cloak and dagger don't want to fall to her level either and end up, actually killing him or anything like that. But I think that will be a split as we get closer to the final confrontation here with uh, Tandy maybe being a little bit more on board with um, Mayhem murdering this dude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So after she pops out of that, she does... This is where she manages to escape, right? Yeah, she, um, she stabs his record player, which will mess up any music fan for a long time. Um, and, uh, we cut to Ty, who's been looking for Tandy, calling around. She shows up at the church. Um, O'Reilly, uh, uh safe O'Reilly, non-mayhem O'Reilly is like, I better call the cops. And Ty's like, yo, they are trying to get me. So, um, <laughs> I should get out. That scene was like pretty weird. I thought, um, which as we learn a, a moment later, it turns out that, uh, Tandy has never left, um, the fantasy world. This is just the ultimate despair moment. Where yeah, well, first uh, they go it alone, try, confront the bad guy, and then he he shoots uh, Ty. Yeah, this whole sequence, everything about this, I was I completely fell for it. I was completely oh, manipulated yeah. by the whole thing. Um, 
I guess in retrospect, you know, from a TV watching, from a fiction perspective, I felt sort of dumb. I felt like, of course, I should have known she didn't get out that easily. But they staged the escape with the record player so well. The show really just takes bold chances anyway. So while they were facing down Andre Duchesne, I felt, all right, maybe this is it. I'm surprised they're taking care of him so quickly. How are they going to get out of this? And then when he shot Ty, I thought, okay, so he has a bulletproof vest. And then when he started bleeding out, I was like, oh, my God, how are how were they going to get out of this? How are they going to do this? Yeah. And then, of course, it flashes back to, uh, like you were saying, she is still in this dream. He figured out the way to take her fear, to take her, just send her into despair was by taking away Ty. And that's what he needed to figure out. And to the show's credit, they give you all that information. He tells you, we're very close to figuring out what her breaking point is. We just got to keep her going. And that's exactly what he does. Yeah, I thought it was a just a great little sleight of hand they did. Like like you just said, they told us what he was doing, and we still fell for it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and just really great. The, what's great about the show is it just it's so simple with their the construction of the episode, uh, yet it still like is so surprising and so like just cleanly done. It's really. The sleight of hand is a very good comment about it. It was the same thing with Mayhem and Bridget O'Reilly, where when they did that reveal, they showed it to us. They told us there was no reason to think that it wasn't two people, but it's only our dumb fiction brains thinking about things a certain way and building them a certain way that makes us think, oh, well, of course, that's a Jekyll and Hyde thing, but it wasn't at any point, and it was our own faults for thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what happens at the end of the episode is Tandy is taken. She is sent into despair. Uh, they she hands over her light dagger to Andre Duchesne. Oh, that was so. I felt that very stressed about that. Yeah. I, Even I, though it didn't, I don't know what it means, mm-hmm. or it may, it may mean nothing. But that I was like, oh, don't do that. You need those. Uh, well, I wonder what that means because we did have the episode in the dark forest where that was. Her key, she changed it into a coin. And now that we know Andre Duchesne can access the Dark Force as well and get in there, I do wonder if there's something deeper that he wants out of it, you know, if he's going to be exploring it in some way. He wants a, like a, a, a little hammock or some sporting goods, perhaps. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of room in Ty's tummy for everybody. Oh, man. Tummy. <laughs> So Tandy ends up being taken at the end uh, to wherever they are taking these girls, which is a pretty horrifying thought. Uh, And I don't think things are going to lighten up anytime soon, to be honest with you. No, I agree. She's in the, the, and the way they shot that was super cool. The ambulance doors close. You see the, uh, the motel sign in the reflection uh, go from vacancy to no vacancy because they have Tandy there. And it's truly scary. Like, we don't know what's happening to these girls. So, um, yeah, not cool. No. I feel like we're going to get a, a, an all-tie episode next episode. I think so, too, to kind of balance it out. And then that's going to be stressful in its own way if we don't know what's going on with Tandy and we don't know what's happening with her. But That's what I'm saying. Yeah, this season has been great. Terrifying, but great. Yeah. All right, for this episode only, who won the episode, Cloak or Dagger? Who was your MVP? Uh, pretty 
easy one to say <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, in this uh-huh, one. Uh-huh. It would be really hard to choose Cloak because he didn't, he wasn't present. Um, right. So uh, it's hard to say that. Um, I did think it was funny. Uh, Ty's cop uniform felt like like he was wearing his older brother's uniform. Right. <laughs> felt like it didn't quite fit him, and he was wearing the cloak. He was like, ah, let me cover this uh, cop outfit up. I mean, um, listen, maybe that was purposeful, right? Maybe it was, even for though sure. it was in Tandy's head, maybe it was supposed to be trying to live up to uh, the memory of his brother or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or just like, he's not fit to do that this is not real reality. Right. Like, uh, she was in sort of a wedding dress. He was in a cop uniform that didn't quite fit him. It definitely felt like they were performing roles as opposed mm-hmm. to just being themselves. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think uh, it's a great Tandy episode, um, top to bottom. And like we were saying before, um, the word so, the reason the sleight of hand, another reason the sleight of hand worked is we're so used to the episode being even handed that when they cut to tie, we're like, oh, great. Now we're on tie for a while. And come to find out, no, we were totally on Tandy the whole time. Yep. Uh, yeah, I I agree. I'm going to say Tandy. going to take a stab out there and just kind of throw it out there. I think she was the only character in this episode. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Or you could, I mean, you could really read the ambulance, another character. Sure, that was really good. Does, it, does its job. Mm-hmm. Andre Duchesne, love a little despair in my life. Be crazy to be rooting for him at this point. Yeah, he's a terrible person. You know what would make you not a terrible person? As Brett mentioned towards uh, the beginning of the episode in his notes, you can support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Cloak and Dagger. Justin, what else do you want to plug? Uh, You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Comic Book Live. And at Cloak Jabber for Cloak and Dagger stuff. Also, you can subscribe at comicbookclublive.com, or you can listen on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And we'll see you tomorrow morning. Oh, I'm still not coming down from these drugs. <laughs> <laughs>